0: Hey everybody, it's Tim again, just letting you know that the uh, Kickstarter for Deathray Designs, Black Sight X, and Rapid Vanguard is over. However, they still have plenty of awesome products on their website, deathraydesigns.com, and I know they will also be doing a late backer pledge coming up soon. Uh, When that's going to be, I don't know yet, so stay tuned. And for other fun news, just to give everybody a heads up, every other Friday and Saturday mornings, I will be at Gigabyte's Cafe in Marietta, Georgia. I'll be running various different games, anything from Frostgrave to Kings of War to uh, Warzone to Batman and a whole bunch of other stuff in between. It's going to be really cool. So if you're ever in the Atlanta area and you want to come by and say hi, stop by Gigabyte's Cafe in Marietta and I'll see you there. All right, folks, we are back for another episode of Skirmish Supremacy. We are joined today by Jim Pinto. He has a uh, Kickstarter game going on right now, very post-apocalyptic, which is something that Nick and I both love, called Carcass. Jim, how are you doing today, man? I'm good. Awesome. So you were telling me a little bit this week about Carcass, and uh, there was a lot of things that you mentioned that really, really, really intrigued me to this game. However, I don't want to just sit here and babble on about it all night. So why do you tell the listeners out there exactly what Carcass is and what what is so different about this game compared to so many other games out there on the market when it comes time to RPGs?
1: Uh first I want to start with Tim. I think that's a lie. I barely know you, but I think you would like to babble on about it. So <laughs> well, yes, I don't think I that's would, really but... the best way to start
2: this. Jeez, ten seconds in. <laughs>
1: yep.
0: Already getting just shut right the hell down. All right then. Yeah,
1: I've never even listened to the show before. Is this is this typical? Is this how it works? Is this the format?
0: Basically. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you're, yeah, you're looking at it.
1: <laughs> um, so the basic premise of Carcass is that it's post-apocalyptic, which is easy enough to get people's minds around. But what it does is that it it's a community building game and lots of game designers, and I've watched lots, especially in the boutique indie Hipster environment I've seen a lot of game designers go out of their way to make community building games overly complicated instead of just treating it like a role-playing game and adding the appropriate what I call nodes or um, sort of goalposts to the design so you you know what framework you're working in So in order to do what I did with this game, all the players are involved and you can play it with or without a GM. And all the players involved are going to build other NPCs, other characters in the society that are a little less important than they are but more important than all the plebeians inside of the community. And let's imagine you're building a a little village in the post-apocalyptic waste of 50 people and there's four people at the table. Those four people are the most important people in the settlement, in the community. There's no argument that the player characters are, are not the most important So if they're the most important, that means the things that they do resonate and affect other people. When your congressman does something stupid, you feel it. So imagine your community is smaller and life is more dire than it is right now. When your congressman does something stupid, everybody feels it. And the game reflects that in the way the side effects of die rolls work. You can be successful and still – make people nervous with your activity.
2: All right. Wait a second. So all that sounds well and good, but you said no GM.
1: You can play it with or without a GM. That is correct.
2: Anarchy. I like it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So one of the things that you were telling me the other day is that, uh, and you just touched on it a little bit is the fact that the game itself, you, even though you might succeed at an action, it comes down to how well you succeed at that action. So how do you go about uh, reaching that level to kind of know, okay, I did this, but there could be consequences?
1: Um, So everybody has five charts on their character sheet. So you know what it is that you do, that your character class does. It spells out exactly when you roll on your fight chart or when you roll on your class chart or when you roll on an investigation chart. When you roll on the general action chart, which is just anything that would be opposed, like trying to climb a wall, right? Which would be a really boring action in this game. But it's there for those kinds of players that like that kind of minutia. And then there's a a chart in there that's never been done in a role-playing game before that I know of. It's called Get What You Want. And essentially the Get What You Want chart is big abstract actions to make things happen. I want to get the community to stop burning plastic because it's making everybody sick. So you have to formulate a plan as to how you're going to do that. Then you roll on the chart to see what the side effect is. And then if there's a game master, the game master is going to interpret that die roll each chart. And I'm I'm giving you a long answer and I apologize, but it's, it's it's, the
0: floor is yours. man. What's that? The floor is yours, man. Go for it.
1: (laughs) Um, So each chart tells you whether or not you roll three or two dice when you do your thing. The most dice you can ever roll for for an action is five dice. So if you want to roll more dice for the thing you're doing, you have to spend drama points. This is a very simplified version of a game system I'm going to be doing later this year for another game called City of Masks, which will have many more opportunities for you to roll more dice based on how complex your character sheet is. Carcass is a dumbed-down version of all of that so that people can start playing it immediately without me spending another six months coming up with all kinds of variables. So you're going to roll your dice, and you're just going to add them all up. There's no modifiers. There's no other math other than looking at the dice and just totaling them up. Um, One of the things that I wanted to get rid of was that guy at the table that does that thing every round, which is – Oh, I got a plus one here, plus one here, plus four from this, and and he spends 15 minutes adding up the same numbers every single round while you're watch while everybody else knows how to play their character. So you don't have that here, you just roll your dice, you're looking at a chart. The chart, every chart has a result for a zero, a five, a fifteen, and or sorry, a zero, a five, a ten, and a twenty. And that's why the system's called five, ten, twenty. Um, and a zero is an absolute critical suck everything bad happens to you as a result. Five is barely succeeding with lots of side effects. 10 is an okay success and 20 is an outright outstanding, everybody loves you success. Rolling a 20 on 2D6 is obviously impossible. It's possible on four, it's possible on five, but it's not easy to do on four or five. And so those results of 20 that are really making the community improve in great ways are hard to do without putting in the effort.
0: Gotcha. So, how do you go about getting the drama points? Everybody starts
1: with some of them. Every time you do something right or wrong, if it's extremely dramatic, really wrong or extremely dramatically right, you're going to get more points. Um, when if you're playing without a GM, those points are going around the table. When you spend them, they go to the person on your left. If you're playing with a GM, those points go to the GM,
0: and then the GM is going to use those points to hurt you. Oh, fantastic. So in this game, if there is a GM, the GM is not necessarily there to just be the storyteller and guide you guys along. He's also there to punish you if you do something stupid.
1: Right. And in fact, that's the primary role of the Game Master in Carcass. And I would think with a game title like Carcass, that's what you would want. So the GM you, is an you asshole. You are
0: your What's that? The GM is very much an asshole. We found game Not necessarily YouTube. an asshole,
1: but certainly a, a foil to their plans, right? He's thwarting their objectives and they are their own worst enemy. Um, the way the game is built, you're playing characters that the leader of your community is already dead. So you don't have one. So you're all sort of infighting to become the leader unless you learn to cooperate. And if the players learn to cooperate, the game is cake. But players don't cooperate and I don't have to worry about that because that's human psychology.
0: Very true. Very, very true. Cool. So you, so how many, you were saying that each character has charts on their character sheet. How many classes are there? And about how many charts are there per class?
1: There's four or five charts per class. And there are presently about 22, 24 classes, something like that. And the stretch goals we've hit, I think 16 of those are going to make it into the book. Um, But we keep hitting more. And then four people have bought really, really high levels on the Kickstarter to add four more classes. So we have an ass ton of classes at the moment. And they're all different. They all do something different in the community. Some of them actually directly do not like each other like the astrologer and the curate, for instance, do not like each other. And if they are both in the, in the community, they are
0: probably going to be assholes to one another. Fantastic. This is what <laughs> I like to hear. Nothing says post-apoc, like people that cannot get along. It, this
2: actually yeah. worked perfect uh, with, a, with an old gaming group. Me and this one guy, it didn't matter what characters we made. We even made characters that were
1: supposed to be best friends and we just fought. Yeah, and dramatic conflict between characters can be fun. It depends on the degree that you take it, right? Carcass is one of those games where you can outright kill one another, and the people are still playing the game. There are ways for you to play the game even with your character dead. Um, I well, built that into the system pur- purposely, so you're still involved, um, and you're you're still making things happen as a person, not as a character in the story. But you, as a person, are still have agency over the story.
0: So, How would that go about working if your character dies?
1: Um, if you're playing gm it's a lot easier. You just take over an NPC every once in a while. You still have drama points to screw with things. And if you have enough drama points, you can just turn one of those NPCs into an important person in the tribe. Um, if there's a game master, the game master is then going to start handing you NPCs to play in key scenes. And you still have those points to screw with things and make things happen. And you can always, if you're not in a scene spend a drama point and now you're in that scene
0: awesome okay so it's okay, impossible so a...
1: for somebody to cock block you out of the story that's that's okay, awesome I... I, I like
2: this premise i'm, I'm...
0: yeah definitely because i noticed that's one thing that happens in a lot of uh a lot of your typical role-playing games that you know there might be scenes to where you're just sitting back like well nowadays staring at your phone or yeah. staring at something else or like rolling up a new character just in case this one dies because of the fact that you're just not important to this portion of the story, which I right. thought always kind of sucked.
1: Yeah. And I've always hated that kind of gaming. I don't play D and D anymore for a reason. I don't play any of those really the, what I call reliant focus play. I, there's not a term for it. So I had to make one up, but it's called what I call it is a reliant focus play. It's where you roll a die and the GM tells you what it means. So you just sit there, and every edition of D20, D&D twenty of D has been the same thing. You roll the D20, and the GM tells you how good it is. And then you wait around for your turn again to roll that D20 again. And that's so outdated a way of playing a role-playing game, that, especially in the world, uh, in the day of, of virtual role-playing. If you're on an MMO, you're involved in the action all of the time, every second. And for D&D to have this 30 minute lapse to get around the table for your action again just makes no sense to me.
0: Yeah. I mean, looking at it from, I I guess if you want to call it a realistic standpoint for what you can do with D&D when there's, you know, no such thing as dwarves, elves, dragons, and all that good shit. um, I always found it funny that like a sword fight between, you know, five or six people for some reason, you know, real life, that would take a grand total of about 15 seconds. 20 seconds, maybe, if they're not running around and it's done. D&D, that could be a 45 minutes to an hour.
1: Right, right. And the way that combat works in the Carcass is it's all abstracted, so you're not worrying about every sword thrust or every bullet that you're firing. You're describing a big action of what it is that you want to do so that you can create those those things that you're used to seeing in movies and TV where I'm going to run behind that car, I'm going to grab cover, I'm going to reload my gun, and I'm going to fire and try to kill a couple of guys out on the ridge. That that could be one entire action in the carcass. And when you roll and you succeed, your foil of the Game Master is going to uh, work with you on what that means. But when you fail, the foil of the Game Master is going to look for a point in all of that Action description in which you you hurt yourself or you fail, and what the results of that are the long term results, which is much more important than the immediate description of action
0: yeah, so speaking of long term results, one of the things that uh, you and I were ta- talking about earlier is the fact that you built in consequences for what happens when people do things like it, it's not it's not right. just a matter of like your typical RPG, where we're all just going to hang out like a bunch of drunks in a bar, and go on a murder hobo rampage through a dungeon for no reason. Like there's going to be consequences if we decide to kill this band of rovers.
1: Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you are sort of beholden to the community, right? And you can actually have, if you continue to 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 essentially fuck up, the the community can rebel against you. They can. Uh, Go on in the exodus. Some of them can just leave the community and the community gets weaker. Um, fear can lead to retribution. Somebody comes after your character for in te- in imagined slights or real slights, depending on your background. Um, there's a 100 results in the book to give as much rich flavor as possible to the potential side effects of living in a world on the edge.
0: Right. So yeah, let's let's expand upon that a little bit more. So, I one of the things that was kind of brought up the other day was uh, like, you know, you might be playing a soldier. In you know, if the the three of us were playing, one of us might be the soldier, and somebody from a you know a town, you know, it could potentially be an ally, could potentially be a rival. We haven't quite figured that out yet. Decides that they're going to have like, you know, some champion versus champion fight and the soldier goes and fights. You may win that fight as a soldier, but based upon how well you rolled could determine certain things like, uh, you know, whether or not the, the, the your town could actually see you as like a champion or if like you barely scrape by that. It's like and they're carrying you back on a stretcher. You won, but you're messed up that, you know, there's there's implications to all of that.
1: Um, Yeah, there are – every character sheet has two tracks of experience. So you have achievements and you have trepidation. Trepidation is all the bad kind of experience that happens as a result of people not trusting you anymore. Um, And then achievements are all the things that you're doing right. And so you have five boxes for each. And if you check off all five of the achievements, you erase them and you start over. But each box gives you something. Like maybe it gives you an extra drama point or it gives you a power. So your character sort of levels up, so to speak. But the trepidations get really bad. And the last one is usually death for your character. So you want to be careful about how much trepidation you're developing for yourself. You want to be careful how much fear you're generating in the community because the community itself has a fear score. You want to be careful um, who it is in the community that you're upsetting because there's going to be NPCs right there on the table that you're going to keep track of how they feel about you. Um, and the things you do if you're that soldier and you go to the other town, and yeah, let's say you kill a couple of our guys, but you don't do it very well. You come back, the community hears about it, their fear level has ramped up. You've got a point of trepidation now, and you know, maybe maybe your standing in the community is diminished as a result. Certainly, when you want to try to become leader, all that
0: trepidation is going to work against you, right? So, you go out there to the other town trying to look like you know the the champion of your village and you come back just really looking like a guy that got lucky and everybody sees it for what it is. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I really dig that. That's, that's something that, uh, you know, you don't again, kind of going back to the whole murder hobo thing that you see in so many games, like there's never, never seems like there's any consequences for what you do, you know, right. Taking your typical RPGs, you go out there and you, Essentially, you overthrow a government with spells and swords, and nobody seems to bat an eye when you do it, which always seems so freaking weird to me. I I
1: think when we were 10, 11, 12, 14 years old playing D&D, we didn't have enough of a sense of what cause and effect was, Um, and – we didn't understand that our characters couldn't get away with anything because it was a power fetish. It was a power fantasy sitting down and playing D&D the first time. Oh, my God. There's, there's no bedtime for my character. He can go and do whatever he wants. He can go and kill people that make him angry. And so you get to work off some of those fr- frustrations cathartically. But when you get older, if you were still playing the same way you were playing when you were 14 – that's a reflection of something, and I don't want to comment too much on that, but you know, I have a degree in anthropology. So how people change over time and how culture changes over time as a result of human behavior is ingrained in me. And so I can't imagine making a game where there aren't some level of consequences. I'm more interested in the consequences of actions than I am with winning an action. Winning an action is boring to me.
2: Yeah, no, that seems seems pretty amazing. Um, yeah, no, I I, I like it. I di- I dig it. Um, that's it's one of the things I look in a game. What what is the consequence of actions? Uh, it's why whenever I play any kind of minis game, I I like the idea of let's have a campaign. Let's right. Let's not you know, and not just a campaign, but you know, you have so many points. As you fight and you lose guys, you lose those points later on. You can't bring them back. Yeah, yeah,
1: precisely. I don't know if you remember an uh, Avalon Hill game back in the day called Upfront, but um, it was this card game. It was a two-player card game, and it really changed my mind. Even at, in the ninth grade, and I was in high school, I played it, and it really changed my view on what games could be, and they had a campaign system in there where your characters could either get better Or more afraid of war. And I was fascinated by the idea that these guys were so shell-shocked because they'd seen so much fighting that they were worse and worse and worse for your squad. And eventually they were either going to die or you were just going to have to send them home and they couldn't fight for you anymore. And whenever somebody puts out a miniatures game with a campaign system, I get really excited the same way you're
0: saying yeah, because otherwise it just turns into a bunch of people that run into the middle of the board and just beat the shit out of each other for no apparent reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and no
1: army in the world would ever fight the way gamers fight in their games. If you lose yeah. 25% of your men in, a, let's say, in feudal Japan, that's when you routed, right? You routed at 25%. You didn't fight to the last man. You lost a small percentage of your forces, and you realize, oh, crap, we're, everybody's going to die if we don't get out of here and that's how right. armies actually operate and role-playing games and bad miniature games teach us to just keep fighting until there's nobody left. More cinematic that way. The glorious last stand. <laughs> have and you guys seen that PDF out there called fucking D and D? I
0: don't, think I have not. No, you got to tell me about this one.
1: <laughs> it 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 is genius. I, I got it right here on my computer. Hold on. I, I actually want to know how many pages it is. Cause I think it's only eight. Um, Oh, you're kidding me! It's only two. This can't be right. <laughs> this is the best version of D and D I've ever seen, and it is two pages long. I thought it was eight. It felt much longer, and their morale rules are so genius. You wonder why D and D hasn't done this before. So it's called. Here's some fucking D and D minimalist role playing and shit is what it's called. Um, you go look <laughs> for it online.
0: It is absolutely <laughs> genius. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna have to check that one out now. You you can't and, you can't not look something up with a title like that.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: And it, the way it's written is so uh, sort of
1: irreverent and caustic, and I loved it. I loved everything about it. Um, and I never say anything good about D and D anymore. So <laughs> it's gotta be it's gotta be
0: good. I'm dying to play it. That's awesome. Well, at least it's bringing back the old. Uh feeling of fantasy just with some more modern age cynicism thrown in there.
1: (laughs) Right. 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 Awesome. And don't get me wrong. I've got no problem going back, making a first level character for D and D playing a couple of sessions and just being kind of, I don't care for a few weeks for a campaign. Right. I think that could be fun and cathartic for a while, but I can't imagine doing that every (laughs) weekend. I'm sorry. I just pulled up the doc, and yeah. uh,
2: so it starts out. Here's some fucking D and D minimalist role playing and shit. Then it says, "Go to who the fuck is my D You fuck. Use the first <laughs> one you get unless it's
1: super shitty. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nope. fucking awesome. And, and you're just ready to play and. If you look at the top right column on the first page, it shows you what your character sheet should look like. And it's the old first edition D&D format, AC, move, hit dice, attack, all that nonsense. All right. so it's like, so simple. Screw it.
0: We're not going to go with all these advanced fucking rules. We're just going to fuck it. You're <laughs> yeah. a fighter. You swing yeah, it- your sword at shit.
1: <laughs> At the end of the day, D&D is the same it's always been. I said this earlier. I'll, I'll repeat this for the rest of my life. Roll 1D20, GM tells you what it means. The amount of modifiers to that D20, the amount of control you think you have over that 1D20 is irrelevant. At the end of the day, you roll a 1D20 and somebody else tells you what it means. And the, the idea that that guy on the other side of the table is more creative than I am is sort of insulting. There's no reason I can't interpret my own 1d20 for myself.
0: Right, I totally agree with you on that one. That's one of the reasons why. Um, kind of harkening back, I think my my breakaway from D and D for me was probably World of Darkness. It, you know, as far as like the Vampire, of the Masquerade, and Werewolf: The Apocalypse. And yes, there was a lot of combat and shit like that in there, but the fact that the game itself was wasn't just designed to be like a group of murder hobos running around killing other supernatural creatures. It, you know, it was, it had more to it. And there was a lot more built into it with that. So I think that's the thing that kind of drew me to that compared to like, again, I'm just some fighter in full plate armor with a big sword that kicks in a door for no reason and kills the first thing I see.
1: I I don't know if you're familiar with the GMS podcast that, Paco Jean does. There's so many podcasts. I don't expect you to know them all. Paco and I just talked a week ago about, is there God, God in quotes. I'm doing quotes over here. You can't see it. Is there God in role-playing games? So is there morality? Do we bring our own sense of morality to role-playing games? And one of the things that I talked about is D&D's intention with the Enlightenment system and its intention with all of these good characters that have good objectives flies in the face of a system that rewards you killing somebody and taking their stuff. The XP system is based on you killing somebody and taking their stuff. Now they've tried adding other XP systems over the years but for 20 years (laughs) D&D was kill something and take its stuff and that's how you advanced. And so you cannot have a morally complex game if the reward system is well if you just kill somebody it doesn't matter if it's a bartender or an orc You get XP, and so all that moral complexity that D and D may have wanted to try to have about good versus evil is gone because the XP system was so dumb.
2: Well, now only because part of my experience, I I had a good friend who introduced me, and and he would he would sit there, and if you chose to kill that bartender who hadn't done anything, he'd go, "This is your alignment. Do you really want to do that?" And, right um, and, and like our first campaign i made this fighter he was gonna be i forget you know one of the good guys and we got sent on this adventure and we we did we went in raped and pillaged the village basically and afterwards they're like why'd you do that you just had to go pick the item up and and my guy ended up on a uh we were playing eberron so they had trains and shit He ended up on the run on a train and I was just, he handed me a new sheet and said, create a new character. (laughs) And my, my guy actually showed up as a bad guy later on, having totally gone the opposite way. He made him an evil son of a bitch.
1: Well, now I will say this different GMs interpret the game in different ways, right? I once had a character just disappear because he had been going around murdering people. And my argument was, well, you've established that the morality of the world your character lives in, that it's okay to just murder anybody. So I don't think the NPCs need to explain to you why you're all of a sudden disappearing. And that was a sort of an interesting moment for us at the table, because those players had never seen anything like that before. But if you're going to sit there and have an ethical debate with the game master about what your alignment means, that's not... That's a weird place to be when you're playing D&D. If, if I'm just neutral, is it really okay for me to kill a bartender? Does it matter? If I'm lawful good, obviously that's bad, but it kind of sucks if the other guys can get XP for killing the bartender and I can't.
0: Well, that was always kind of the thing that I found so fucked up about the way that they ran the system on that. And for, you, for everybody listening out there, I am not completely shitting on D&D. I'm not because I started with it. There's still like that little twinge of it in my heart, but taking the alignment system into consideration. So true neutral is animals. So if I was a, you know, if I want to look at it that way, oh, so for me, true neutral is that of an animal. So the animal I'm going to embrace is a jaguar. So me as this, you know, fighter or druid or pick a class, it doesn't really matter I have the neutrality of a Jaguar. I'm going to kill the bartender and eat him in public. And that should be okay. And most people yeah, would and say, yeah. uh, that is fucked up and chaotic evil. Well, right. <laughs> and
1: the, the question becomes, where, where does lawful good re- line up, right? Because lawful good would make no sense in Asia, in a collective culture where... An individual life is meaningless. Lawful good right. seems to stem from Gary Gygax's Midwestern religious background. Whether or not he was a religious person, he had a spiritual background rooted in the Midwest. And so his vision of what lawful good was was very different from what, say, a Viking would consider lawful good. Oh, yeah.
2: Right. So- yeah, that's. To me, that, I mean, it does come down to the GM. You know, if if you have a good GM, even if they take you out of context, you know, there's, how does it affect you and how does it affect the people around you? You know, you might still be lawful good, you know, that paladin of, you know, uh, do good, you know, save the birds, whatever, god, and yet you go somewhere and, you know, they don't give a damn well, you're still acting as your God sees fit or your whatever else. And I think that's what creates the story with D&D. And it is where you need a good GM, DM, you know, someone that's guiding you
1: through. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so... Role playing games can either start this is one of the things that where role playing games has changed so much over the years. Role playing games can either start to become easier and easier to run where the mechanics are are very minute and it's all about the art form of game mastering or they can go the direction that 3.5 and 4th edition went which is the game master is just there to plug in the spreadsheet so that the players can do all the things the players are supposed to do cuz they're driving the engine and the kind of game you play, people talk about, well, I ha- what's the best system for running this kind of game? People shouldn't be asking, what's the best system for running you know, a space opera? They should be asking, what's the best system for running a game where the players have more authority than the GM, or the GM has the ability to do things on the fly? Those are really the questions we should be asking about systems, because the systems are a reflection of what it is that we want to do, not a reflection of the genre we want to play in.
0: Right. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, you know, the other thing I think that the players need to ask that question when it comes down to it too, is what kind of a game and when I say game, I mean the mechanics behind it, what kind of mechanics do you want to see in a game? Like, you know, to me, I, I look at D and D and, you know, going back as far as it was to Chainmail, it was a combat simulator. You know, if you want a combat simulator, that's one thing. Um, You know, does it make for great role playing? Well, as we've already kind of discussed, no, not really, because we all turn into a bunch of amoral murder hobos for no apparent reason. Right. But, uh, you know, then you've got the people that lean in the opposite end of that spectrum that are like, I'm here for the story. Regardless of what happens to my character, the story is the important part. The, the narrative right. we're creating is, should be everything. Yeah, and I think depending on how
1: left brain or right brain you are, and I'm not denigrating either side of the brain, I, I think that is really going to determine what you enjoy most about role playing. If you're extremely left brain and binary, you're going to like number crunching. And if you're extremely right brain and creative and want to know motivation, you're probably only going to care about what your character is thinking and you don't you didn't do any of the math getting that character ready for the game. And when those two people are at the table together, that's, that's usually when people say, well, I can't get my players to try anything new because D and D just sort of be, is the glue that's held those two people at the table for so many years.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Very true. Awesome. I think one of the
1: flaws bringing up the, the D and D combat system, one of the flaws is when people tried to, create new rules for doing other things other than fighting in D&D, that's when D&D actually got worse because now you have these rules for resolving me bribing you or bluffing you or diplomacy diplomacying you, whatever it's called, with a 1D20 roll. And I just do it in one action with one die roll. If I wanted to kill you, it would probably take 10 die rolls, but I can get you to leave me alone in one die roll.
0: And that just – Yeah, like, you, you know, quote-unquote, won the encounter and gain all the XP because of it.
1: Right. I'm going to seduce the dragon. (laughs) I mean, why not? Why not give it a try? You could possibly win in one round.
0: Yeah, and then, uh, well, then things go real fucking weird from that point out.
1: (laughs) Right, but if I get the XP and I level up, what do I care? Because there's no... Cause and effect in D anD D, unless the GM puts it there. There's no rules for it. So I, I so. have to ask about the meme. Uh, you know, rolling rolling a
2: critical fail, a one. Have you guys seen it with you go to push the orc off the bridge?
1: Yeah, you massage his back. He feels weird. And then it,
2: go- <laughs> and it goes. He goes to crush your skull, and he rolls a one. And then it fast forwards, you know, many years in the future, you're watching your
0: children play. (laughs) Oh, God, I saw that one. It was that cartoon where, like, you massage the orcs back and the the orc, like, like, pats you on the head. And then shit goes weird from there because they start, like, trying to roll diplomacy and they fall in love. and next thing you know, there's some weird fighter orc marriage. Yeah, it got it went downhill fast. Yeah. I remember seeing a cartoon somebody drew about that and I was like, oh, God, this is this sounds like half of the D&D games I've
1: played. The interesting thing for me about all those memes is people really do like the extreme dramatic results when they're playing role playing games. So they look forward to rolling the one and ro- look forward to rolling the 20. The The thing that ends up happening is that the GMs, if the GM has the power to absolutely interpret that one or that 20, they have to then start topping themselves the last time they interpreted a one or 20, right? So the extremes of those interpretations grow wider and wider and wider every time you play. And I think that's where those memes come from, is a one used to just mean, oh, okay, you trip and you fall on your sword. Now it means you're hugging an orc. What's it going to mean 10 years from now when people are looking for an even more extreme result?
0: I don't think we could say it on this podcast without getting arrested or having us attacked <laughs> by social justice warriors.
2: <laughs> Tim, you're just trying to get us attacked by them
0: anyways. Keep We're not going to start that. <laughs> this podcast is for everybody. Just keep telling yourself <laughs> that, Nick. <laughs> so, Unless you disagree what are the with Tim. Things... Well, that. So... Jim, one of the things you were telling me as well, there's actually a way that you could just like outright fail and end of the campaign. In carcass. Yeah. Sorry for carcass. Getting um, back on track if with carcass. Everybody
1: here. is, if everybody is out of characters or there's one guy left with a character. Yeah. The game is essentially over at that point. Right. But there are ways to outright kill somebody else's character if they roll certain results on the chart. And that's, You know, if you're playing the Gaunt, there's a character called the Gaunt. If he rolls really, really crappy, he kills himself. He's out because of the style of character that the Gaunt is. But if you play another character who rolls up, I think it's Exile. I'm off the top of my head because I've I've been working on it. So there's so many results. If you roll an Exile, I can spend five drama points and you're just out of the game. You leave the tribe, you're done. You've been kicked out and that character is gone. And it's one of the reasons why the, the interplay of the, the character to your left being your foil and the GMless version, um, is so important for you to build a, a stronger rapport with that character. So those sort of things aren't happening.
0: Gotcha. Cause I, I did think that was one of the things that I, I, to me, I found that personally, one of the coolest things about the carcass when you were telling me about it is the fact that, you know, if, everybody decides to play D and D style or, you know, there's just that possibility that dice just are never in your favor that, uh, yeah. you could end up royally botching and killing the entire tribe. Right.
1: And that it is completely
0: thematic and it's not, it's not like
1: ruining a D and D campaign where the GM has spent 30 years working on this, this world and this, this adventure and this campaign and, oh, my God, they're dead on the first thing and now I can't run this ever again. Building a community is done in the first 30 minutes of play and set up when you're playing the carcass. And if you have a game master, he's done that in 30 minutes before the game starts. So a lot of these – there's no time really wasted if everybody dies and you just have to start over again next week with a different community. Building a community is so fast that it's okay that – and just because it's fast doesn't mean you don't care. It's just you're getting to the important bits very much quicker than you would if you were building an entire village of people for D&D, where you have to worry about who each of these people are and what they have for sale in their shop and so on. This isn't that kind of game.
0: Right. Cool. So why don't you go through that a little bit for us? How, how do you go about building your community to get that started?
1: Um, the book provides three different ways to do it. There's the long version, the short version, and the immediate version. The immediate version is you just use this community right here. It's done. It's ready to go. Start playing now. And it comes with a a community name, five NPCs, some problems, and some projects that need to get finished. Um, The uh, long version takes about maybe a half an hour to an hour of setup where you're answering tons of questions and you're really getting into it and it creates a more immersive environment and everybody has some sort of say as to where they live and what they're doing. And then there's the in between the shorter version where you're either rolling on charts or drawing cards from a a deck, a world building deck that I'm making and you get random setups that get you going a little bit faster, but still require a couple of questions for you to answer before you can go. And then you can do the random method of picking your character glass or you can go through all 24 of them and pick one and then, you have four questions you have to answer about your character and everyone's got four different questions. I've seen these websites where answer these hundred questions to know who your character is. And I I call bullshit on that. If you have a hundred questions for, and every player has to answer the same hundred questions, you're going to get a lot of repetition. But if everybody has four or five different questions that nobody else has, you're going to get a much more interesting group of characters
0: that are going to be in the community together yeah that's very true it kind of uh to me that the system that you have where it's kind of specific um harkens back at least to some point the old cyberpunk 2020 with their 20 question system obviously that was a lot more than four but it seems like with the different class that you chose you know they did they didn't they didn't want you choosing how you answered the questions it definitely came down to like dice rolls how did you grow up um yeah how did you live your life as a as a as a young person you know what what did you do prior to where you're at now um friends and enemies like who is it that you know who is it that hates your ass um and so there were so many things that you could roll based upon these charts and you know they really did encourage the role because of the fact that it's kind of fate like no nobody is going to grow up ultimately like having the perfect layout for them to become like the ultimate street soldier, for example. Like they probably had a couple things happen in their life that they would not care for anybody else to know about or you know, something along those lines. So I always thought that was kind of cool.
1: I I talk a lot of shit about Shadowrun. Um just about any time I'm ever interviewed, I talk <laughs> about how bad of a game it is. And I think there you just described exactly why it's a bad game. You get to make the perfect street samurai without any any building blocks that would hinder your ability to get there. You have no past. Nothing you've done up until this moment matters. You are just numbers on a page. And for a world that's as rich as Shadowrun, for the character creation system and the gameplay to be as banal as it is, I think is rather insulting. And I think you nailed it right there. I hadn't looked at it that way before, but that idea that your life path, the things that's happened to you before make you who you are. That's a much better, more interesting character to play than one with the perfect hundred points to spend.
0: Yeah, exactly. And now, so going back to like, you know, the early cyberpunk things, like outside of post-apoc cyberpunk is probably my next favorite setting that I have. And the old R Telsorian system, this the, their old interlock system with the D 20 and the, the D ten and the twenty questions and the way that you can just make these characters that really do kind of start off tragic and you have to in order for you to become you know, quote unquote good at what you do, you might have to overcome some serious shit to make that happen. I always thought that was one of the things that really added flavor to that game compared to just, you know, taking the Shadowrun route. You know, oh, I'm a street samurai and therefore I have this monofilament katana because everybody has one of these. And I've got a machine gun because everybody has one of these and cybernetics that I've just kind of acquired one day and just went to some random doctor and had him put into me because everybody has these. And that always kind of irritated me when it came time to, like, some of the, the stuff Shadowrun did. And I understand that they were trying to go for that over-the-top combat. I mean, come on. Like, the mem- the moment that you can make a troll, and they have a troll-sized <laughs> minigun that only a troll can use. And you can pretty much acquire it in basic character creation and just murder everything you come across. Like, you, c- you can kind of tell from that point that it, it's not that gritty street level game that they make it out to be. Yeah. I,
1: I it somehow became 40 K overnight. I don't know, but that's, that's essentially what Shadowrun
0: became with that description, the troll with the troll minigun. Yeah, exactly. And that was one of the things that like, you know, I, I played, Oh God, what was it? Probably six, seven years ago. And, uh, you know, my buddy was really big into it, but he said right off the bat, it's like, look, if you're looking at playing this game, like, Cyberpunk, because, I mean, that, that was my game for the longest time. He's like, don't. I want you to look at this more like an anime. Look at it more like Appleseed. And that is the flavor that this game is going to have. And <laughs> yeah. Once he kind of said that, I was like, you know what? Okay, now I can roll with this a little bit better.
2: So I've he actually knows. never played Shadowrun outside of the new video games that have come out with. I've looked through the books. You know, I've, I've talked to people that have played it. But it always struck me more as kind of Philip K. Dick with some fantasy in it. You know, and <laughs> and those guys do. You know, I mean, a lot of his books have have your down on your luck guy, you know, Johnny Mnemonic, um the the chick that he runs with. Um, but at the same time then you have uh the characters out of uh the one with Wintermute, the AI, who who was cutting edge, you know it. It that's how it always struck me was, you know, yeah, everyone has this, and that's why when you face, you know, you've got one troll with the giant ass minigun, and you're facing four of them with the same gun, you're going, oh
1: shit. I um I always liked the premise of Earth Dawn. And then I sat down and I played it with a bad GM and I found out that I didn't like Earth Dawn the way I should have liked Earth Dawn, And I think <laughs> Shadowrun is the same thing. What you're describing is an amazing game experience if you have the right GM. And so when you're yes. playing in their video game, you've got the right GM. They're selling you the exact experience they want you to have. But right. the Shadowrun books are gun porn. You flip those things open and page after page after page of gun porn, cybernetic porn, things to kill porn oh, so the have, nuance you,
0: isn't there yeah, so you clearly have not seen the new books that just came out are they even the more the, gun r- porn? the riggers manual and the uh, the tech manual that just came out like <laughs> literally last week I mean it the, the, these books are nothing more than like cutting edge tech. Um, maybe a paragraph of description, and then the rest of it is all like, "Look how badass this thing is!"
1: <laughs> yeah, and I'm, there you go. There you go. <laughs> there, there's no nuance there. And any game where my the equipment I carry is more important than I am, I don't want to play. To be honest, yes, I mean, I used so. to love playing a rogue in D anD D that had thirty different kinds of weird things in its pocket for solving problems. But those 30 things didn't replace me or my brain, and there weren't stats for them. If I had a bag full of marbles, that didn't replace my ability to know when to use that bag of marbles. The Panther right. Cannon in Shadowrun does one thing and one thing only, and there's there's no creativity to
0: how you use it. Yeah, I would totally agree with you there. Yeah, it's 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 designed to do one thing and one thing only and put giant holes in people.
1: Yeah, or for yeah, you, gives those of you listening the out there that have probably do done
0: that. what a lot of people do, and they picture like a cannon that fires panthers. That would actually be creative, <laughs>
1: uh, and yet silly. I still wouldn't play it. I might play it a little more often, but I still wouldn't play
2: it. Oh come on! <laughs> if I can launch a panther, I'd just be doing that just because it's like it's a panther. That's how so you i you guys walk rooms. into the nightclub. I fire a panther at it.
0: <laughs> at what? at the darkness. <laughs> we played um I think <laughs> the last
1: time I played video? Shadowrun I want to say 6 or 7 years ago and I made a character who was um the Red Bull spokesman and he oh. had I bought 13 NPCs to follow me around. They were my entourage. I spent all of my points on my entourage. And I had a constantly running uh webcast going and you know this whole thing and that was the character that I was playing. And I, everybody else had shown up with these these human numbers is essentially what they were. And in no time, the char- other characters were killing off my associates because they were sick of the fact that my character didn't help in a firefight.
0: So yeah, that was that's, not fun. that's always been one of the things that bugs me is, you know, you have a game that's so combat heavy. Why do you have these support classes? <laughs> like, it, yeah, yeah. A good example of that, because they're not net runners. What the hell do they call them? Deckers. Deckers I think in Shadowrun, the ones that jump into the net.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, you're right. Deckers. Yeah. Riggers are the guys that fix
0: things. Yeah. So you got riggers and deckers. You might as well just say these are NPC classes. (laughs) Right. Right. Because let's let's look at a Decker in a firefight. I'm going to plug myself into the wall and fall into a coma. Awesome! I'm going to hide behind the Decker and use this meat shield as cover. (laughs) Oh, he's going to try to hack into the door to get it open. Or I have this giant gun. I could just blow a hole in the door, and, you know, at this point we're in a firefight. I don't care about the lock. So there, that was quick. (laughs) Yeah, so that's one of the things that always did kind of bug me with, you know, Shadowrun. And again, I'm not shitting on it, but it was just... Like the themes that it was trying to get across sometimes, I just felt like it was much more on the high end action swinging across the you know balconies with you know two guns blazing and you're holding the zip line with your teeth, and yeah, just craziness,
2: but everyone wants to be Rambo someday.
1: I think we're back to where yeah. we started with little kids when we're fourteen, and it's just power fantasy,
0: yes, very much so. Very, very much so.
2: Yeah, in so,
0: some
1: ways,
2: but there's also sometimes when you don't want a whole lot of complexity, you know, and that is the beauty of games. Is sometimes you're just playing the game to kick back, relax, and de stress. You're you're out there. You you know, it's it's as much mindless fun as it is, um, you know, actually doing something. You do have fun running in and slaughtering all those innocent little freaking goblins because they made a funny face at you. Right.
1: I oh, I think yeah. if everybody okay. signs up for that that's fine. I really do. I and I don't think it it matters what you're doing at that point. Um, um but when I looked at Shadowrun when it first came out and lots of games like it so we're not just bashing Shadowrun for an hour. Um it looks like it's promising one thing and then I sat down to do it and it's something completely different. And it just feels like a waste. Why is there 7,000 pages of world information in Shadowrun? It's it's irrelevant. Nobody cares what the world is because at the end of the day the GM is just inventing a new thing for me to kill every week. Right. So that
0: was So you know where you
1: can have your firefight.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> so there um I I played uh, Rifts for a little while, and and that was kind of interesting because I, I created this character and I wanted him to be like one of those mech pilots, but I really you know he uh, our our GM he made he made him uh, the big uh, Chicago um, whatever the big organization is that's kind of the evil government, but I I got out I got an old suit. You know, cool. Well, then, you know, one of the first things we do is he basically drops me right where the suit of the stuff that I really wanted was. And I had enough money with selling my other suit and all that that I could buy this suit. So I do this, and he sat back the whole time. And uh, I get this new suit on, and he goes, all right, do you know how to use it? I'm like, hell yeah, you know, I... I got this skill. You know, I I got all these. He's like, "Yeah, but it's alien. You don't know how to use alien stuff. You just know how to use that stuff." And it was it was quite interesting uh my my character ended up with a lot of bumps, bruises, broken limbs and uh <laughs> a lot of other things before we even ever got into combat. Because he gave me an
1: opportunity to uh basically teach myself. Well, I don't that doesn't sound fun in my I mean maybe it was for you but it doesn't sound fun.
2: Oh, I was pissed at the time, but looking back at it, I'm like it was definitely a learning experience.
0: Yeah, I opted out of rips the moment that one of the other people in the the group I was playing with decided to make Pikachu as a character and they did. <laughs> <laughs> then I was done
2: Pikachu that, I choose you
0: oh god yeah yeah. anyway <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's roll this back to carcass let's talk about something that's a little bit more awesome than that <laughs> <laughs> hey
1: can we have Pikachu and carcass uh you could I don't think it would last long yeah, but it, but it can how you shock a the shit out of everything there is a class called the Butcher in Carcass, which carves up meat for the party to eat. So I think that's all I need to say about that.
0: <laughs> yep. <laughs> totally understood. So, right now, like you, you're you're pretty much beating ass on this thing as far as the Kickstarter goes. You're, at, yeah, you're currently it, at It stalled out today for about months. six
1: hours. Um, I don't know what happened. I guess people are just busy today. It's middle of the week, but we just hit 8,000
0: while we were talking. Nice. Yeah, I just saw that. I've been kind of keeping up with it. And uh, so where, where does that get us stretch goal-wise? Let's take a look here. So we're looking at two more character classes plus an alternative cover design for soft cover and hard hardcover backers. Yes. So if we go a little bit farther, 9,000 is two more character classes, another free PDF for backers, and then 10,000, something fucking awesome crawls out of the carcass and returns.
1: <laughs> yeah. i don't know what 10k is going to be because i didn't expect it to do this well so i'm sort of treading water now if it, if it hits 15k i think i'm going to do a novel um we'll see i mean people get a pdf of the novel they're not going to get a print or anything but um yeah i'm i don't know where to go from here it's for stretch goals <laughs> to be honest <laughs>
0: um so what so- happened is it took you by surprise and you went oh damn it
1: I hit 2,000 within the first, I want to say, eight or nine hours. Um, And so I'd already hit the goal and then the first stretch goal before I could even blink.
2: It it seems the season for
1: uh, post-apocalyptic games because – Yeah, yeah. And I'm not – I wasn't trying to ride any kind of craze. Post-apocalyptic has always been my favorite genre. And this game mechanic, when I came up with it about a year ago, post-apocalyptic just fit the mechanic better than anything else. So, honest, I, I love post-apocalyptic. I'm not trying to ride Mad Max's coattails.
2: Well, not even that, but um, no, this is not a test. They, they started their Kickstarter recently, and, and that blew up. It, they were funded within a couple hours and by the next day uh joe was going um guys I, I don't even i didn't plan on this going here what are you doing to me um <laughs> I, i've got to come up with stretch goals and
1: from from world's end publishing yes okay i'm looking it up it's a miniatures game it yep. looks like right yep i'm looking it up while we talk i've never heard heard of it that's a great name i'm jealous i know right <laughs> you're like damn it why didn't i think of that did, did you guys watch the entire video on my kickstarter
0: yeah i did uh what the hell was it monday
1: if you listen all the way to the end there's a funny little joke at the end and so th- it would have been good for these guys but this is not a test um i had a blast making that video I, will, I normally uh, hate the video part of a Kickstarter because I don't like being on camera. I don't like my voice. And so I just usually have somebody else read something and I throw some music on there. But this time I went a little more creative.
2: Nice. I will, I will have to go and watch it. I was kind of told at like uh, 5 o'clock that uh, <laughs> this is who our guest
0: is
1: this week. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: and he's so- awesome. And then you found out that he was awesome.
0: Yeah, exactly. So we're all good. And too bad he couldn't so be here good. and I had
1: to take his place, but the original <laughs> guest would have been awesome.
0: Uh, there's always other times for that. We're not going to talk about who it is going to be. We'll have to have everybody <laughs> wait and see. I, but I I guess I'll put it to you this thing. way Gamma fucked us this week. I'll put it that way.
2: I guess it's a good so thing you lucked I out that I'm not popular about see? It this morning. What was that, Nick? I said it's a good thing I didn't post a you know preview of who we're talking to this week this morning.
0: But I had to delete. Yeah, that would that would have made us look like morons. <laughs> but uh, yeah, shit happens. So <laughs> exactly.
1: Oh, I'm. I was making a joke. I, there was actually somebody that was supposed to be slotted for this, and I'm taking their place.
0: Yeah, it's all right. We don't mind it because we get the chance to talk <laughs> to you. In a I was and just making fun of you, so. myself that
1: I'm not interesting. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> Uh,
2: yes. Ugh. No, the, the there was something planned, but this this has definitely been a pretty awesome uh, change up. So, Duh. E Even without having had a chance to see your Kickstarter or anything like that, I'm interested in the game, and the okay. conversation
1: has been pretty good. I'm playtesting again. Well, not really playtesting anymore. It's more just fine-tuning at this point. But this weekend, I'm going to be at GameStorm here in southern Washington. Um, it's four days long, and we're going to play it as much as we can. Uh, I don't get sick of this game. I think that's a really good reflection of the product, um, of what i Yeah, that's Is definitely that, – I'm not that's tired a lot of buying it. it.
2: Yeah. Um, well – and one thing I have been trying to ask people is, is there anything else you're playing?
1: Is there anything else I'm playing? Well, I, I make a lot of stuff. Um, I've made uh, 180 products in the last 30, the last three years. Um, not 30 years, in the last three years. Most of them are these short gm games called protocols. And so I play those a lot with my friends. We tend to pick up little things here and there. I haven't played in a regular campaign in a long time. Uh, if I did, it would probably be Vampire.
2: Cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go check out those other ones too.
1: Yeah, there's 60 games in the Protocol series, um, and then there's lots of other little games. And then I've made decks of cards. I I mean, I could talk for a while about the other things that I've done. I don't want to bore you guys with all that, but um, yeah my my online store on Drive Through RPG has a, a ton of just little things that I've made over the last three years. And I sort of just make what I want to make. I don't I don't worry about trends. I don't look for that. I just, oh, I want to make a game about Hamlet. I'm going to make a game about Hamlet.
0: Hey, somebody out there is going to buy the damn thing. So I say go for I actually, it.
1: I, I did make a game about Macbeth in the future. Um, it's a sort of a, a cyberpunk version of Macbeth. Yeah,
0: I'm trying to wrap my brain around that right now.
1: He works for a corporation. He's the head of the corporation because he's killed, not killed, but because the old man is stepping down or whatever. He's this ambitious power broker and you're all the people that work for him. Interesting. So you're you're sort of swimming in his wake, trying to take care of all the damage he's doing.
0: Well, hey, can't go wrong with that shit. (laughs) Awesome. Uh Awesome.
1: yeah, I'm a huge fan of, of Shakespeare, actually, without sounding pretentious. I love the, the amount of hubris that exists in Shakespeare's plays, and so I think they're ripe for gaming fodder. I really think they are. I, I think we shy away from it because we think it's, oh, it's hoity-toity, and so we don't want that kind of stuff in our games. But Hamlet and Macbeth and Henry V are just Richard II and Richard Third, just ripe with story potential for role-playing games
0: yeah that is true it's just i i think just yeah i think the one reason why everybody life. shies away from shakespeare is people hear shakespeare and the first thing they think is like oh highbrow. and i'm like has anybody ever sat back and actually read shakespeare like <laughs> i'm sure half of it he wrote when he was like you know what whatever fuck it that sounds like a good story yeah a third of it is dick jokes <laughs>
1: I mean if you look yeah, carefully he- a third of it is dick jokes so it's not highbrow and you can finish one of his plays in 2-3 hours in reading so how can it be highbrow if you can finish it that quick
0: Yeah that's very true Awesome well I hate to cut this short man but uh we do have a time schedule to stick to so Jim it was awesome having you on
1: Um thanks yeah I had a blast this was really fun guys I'll be upstairs and just
0: Awesome so for those of you out there right now go to Kickstarter go. and go uh check out the carcass and uh you want to go ahead and plug your website real quick there, Jim? Uh Post World Games um is my
1: website. I'm also on Twitter and Facebook. Um and you can um you can find me on Drive Through RPG also as Post World Games. So
0: Awesome. That's oh, Okay, cool. So you're so you sell stuff through your website and Drive Through RPG.
1: I do. I do. My website doesn't sell that much. Um because I, it's just a pain to upload to my site, and I've gotten so good at uploading to drive DriveThru. But there's a ton of stuff on drive DriveThru.
0: Okay, yeah, because took, it took my brain a moment to wrap, wrap itself around that. I was like, wait a minute, he's got a website, and he's telling Through. to DriveThru. And I was like, oh, yeah, he does everything digital, so I guess it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I have a few printed products, but they're all POD, so,
0: again, it might as well just do that through drive through. Hey, with the indies, man, that's the way to go. Yeah, so to wrap this yeah, it's up, it's going
1: big enough. I mean, there's no point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So to wrap this up, guys, go on to Kickstarter, check out the Carcass Exodus, and just remember that one third of Shakespeare's all dick jokes.
2: <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Have a good night. <laughs> talk to
0: you later.